It is the greatness. It is the heart of the Christian message that God, who is manifest in the Christ of the cross, totally participates in the dying of a child, in the condemnation of the criminal, in starvation and famine, and even in the human rejection of himself. There is no human condition into which the divine presence does not come and join us and walk with us. And this is what the crucifixion of Jesus, the most extreme of all human conditions, does for our sake. Dear family and friends of First Lutheran Church, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our crucified and risen Lord and Savior, who is the King of all creation, Jesus the Christ. Amen. As at his birth, at his baptism, at the beginnings of his ministry, along the north shores of Lake Galilee, Jesus, God's Messiah, never comes to us from on high, but always in our midst, in the very midst of our rough and tumble lives. As we read and sung in Psalm 46, the Lord is in the midst of us, and he shall not be moved. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And so it is even to Jesus' dying day that we hear of this amazing, climactic solidarity of salvation with us in the midst of us as Christ comes to die, taking upon the sin of his world, painted by Dr. Luke in our gospel lesson from verse 33. Now when they came to the place which is called the skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Now I invite you to listen in closely. And I wish that you could see the cross from my perspective because it is leaning in as though to embrace us once more again this day as Christ's word comes in our midst. It all started after Jesus and the two criminals had been hanging for a while. Jesus was getting most of the attention from the Roman soldiers and the crowd, and perhaps it was that sign in the Latin that was above his head, the I-N-R-I, which is an abbreviation for Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Ironically, it is the only thing we know of which was written about Jesus during his lifetime. And equally ironic is it, but deeply profound, that this is sufficient. That is to say, Christ is the king of all creation. Nothing more 
needs be said. Now, according to St. Matthew and St. Mark's gospel account, the other two were robbers. But St. Luke simply calls them criminals. So take your pick. Thieves, tax evaders, terrorists, traitors, or better yet, sinners like us, chronic suspects. Yet whatever they did, one of them didn't think it was as bad as what Jesus had done because he joined the crowd in mocking him. Aren't you the Messiah, he said. I thought you were the Messiah. Everyone says you're the Messiah. So why don't you do something, God? Sound familiar? And it wasn't something he said under his breath either. Because the other criminal, way over on the other side of Jesus, was able to hear it. And so he shoots back, do you not fear God? As though defending the dying man between them. We're getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. So even on the cross, Jesus was surrounded by controversy. Attacked from one side, defended by the other. By two men who are as different as they can be. Now, Dr. Luke does not name them, but according to the apocryphal gospel of Nicodemus, which never made its way into the Bible, their names were Gestas and Dismas. Gestas was the criminal who mocked Jesus and sneered at him. And Dismas was the criminal who defended Jesus. So if you're ever wondering where we get this language for St. Dismas prison ministry here in Sioux Falls, there you have it. Now, out of my hospital chaplaincy days and drawing upon some of the insights of the well-known psychiatrist Elizabeth Kupler-Ross, many of you have read her book on death and dying, I want to put to you this question today. Have you ever noticed how it is that when people are dying, they become more who they are than they've perhaps ever been? By this I mean the approach of death as it saps our strength, seems to take away all of our abilities to, to pretend to be someone else or to try to cover up. That is, our disguises fall away along with our defenses until all that's left is our condensed version of ourselves in which the core of our humanity is revealed. Some can become meaner than a pit bull while others become almost angelic, radiant. And it's not always easy to tell ahead of time who will turn out to be whom. 
But judging from Gestas' behavior on the cross, according to Dr. Luke, I'd wager that he'd been a bitter man, a very bitter man most of his life. Maybe he learned early on that there was no sense hoping for much since everything he loved would be taken away from him sooner or later. Maybe he really was a thief, someone who dedicated himself to stealing back what he thought had been stolen at some point from him. But however he had ended up on that cross, he didn't blame himself. He blamed others instead. As one of our members in the Wednesday morning Bible study this past week observed, I think Gestas was probably one of those people, much like we see in our American culture today, who's constantly playing out that victim card. And his death sentence, that probably wasn't a surprise to him either. He'd been expecting as much for most of his life. And when it finally came around, he bore no responsibility for it. Whatever he'd done to earn his death sentence was not, in his mind, his fault. It was the judge's fault. It was the system's fault that had always been out there trying to nail him. It was his parents' fault. Thus, according to all who see through the eyes of Gestas, it was the fault of the man hanging in the middle. I mean, aren't you the Messiah? Get us out of this mess. Now, Dismas, on the other hand, seemed to know what he'd done to end up where he was. We're getting what we deserve, he said. He had a sense of justice even if it had gone thumbs down on him. And he was willing to own up to this, his part in the verdict. Who knows what allowed him to do this? Maybe he was one of those half-hearted criminals who is half relieved when he's caught. Or maybe he was just a gambler who had some integrity. When he lost, he didn't throw his victim cards all over the saloon table in downtown Deadwood or get out his Colt 45 and start shooting everybody in sight. Rather, he simply lost with as much integrity as he could muster. Whatever it was, Dismas seemed to know that the one strong move left to him in life was to accept responsibility. And he heard a word for this that we'll hear also in just a moment. Facing the consequences. So while Gestas lay tied to the railroad tracks, cursing everybody he'd ever known in his life. Dismas churned around to face the oncoming locomotive with an amazing sense of composure. And then on Spirited Wing comes one of the most beautiful dialogues in all of Holy Scripture. As Dismas churns to the man in the middle and says, Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. Dismas knew there was no earthly thing, nothing that he could do to redeem himself or save himself. And perhaps this truth finally came home to him as three times the crowd, the Roman soldiers, and Gestas were throwing their mocking shouts at Jesus. If you have your Bibles open to the gospel lesson in verse 35, we read, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God. Again in verse 36, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And finally, a third time in verse 39, are you not the Christ? If so, save yourself, says Gestas, and us. So let me ask you this. What would have happened if Jesus had saved himself? If Jesus had come down off the cross? He would have left us in our sin. And he would not have identified with us in our death to give us that hope. And I hope that this is also bringing you back to the very beginning of Jesus' ministry when he's tested and tempted in the wilderness. And he hears the devil's tempting voice saying, if you are the Son of God, turn these rocks into bread. If you are the Messiah jump off this cliff. You hear all of these ifs again? Finally, perhaps you're wondering if Dismas had somehow heard about Jesus' teaching or healing or even raising the dead, which is why he said what he said. But to ask how he'd known all that about Jesus really is to miss the point of this gospel story. For the only thing that really matters is what he heard that day when death sought to crucify the king of creation. But no, God's redeeming grace replaced a world of retribution, granting a pardon, a word of hope and salvation. And here's that word that was ringing even louder in Dismas's ear. Father, says Jesus, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And this is what set him free. And then with an ear of flesh to hear and a mouth of flesh to say it, Jesus turns from the cross, which when we think about it, is the tree of life in the new Genesis. God's bringing in a new creation through Christ's death, a new paradise, and says to Dismas, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. For life is to be with Christ, because where Christ is, there is the kingdom. Today, for you, for all people, let us pray. Well, Lord, we thank you for your living word that still reaches out to unfold us, yes, 
today, coming to us right in the very middle, in the midst of our lives. For at Christ's birth, we hear the word again from angels, for to you is born this day, today, a Savior. And at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we hear him identifying with the text of Isaiah, of his redeeming love for all oppressed, saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so, as well, on this, your Christ, the King Sunday, at his death upon the cross, we hear, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Yes, O Lord, today grant us eyes to see the one cross that makes a crucifix, but also that three crosses make your church. Remember us, Lord, in your coming kingdom as we share your forgiving, living word in the name of Jesus, the King of all creation. Amen.